thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Welcome pilots, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency, because as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 255 of the best damn space sim podcast ever, recorded on Friday, April 5th, and made available for download on Tuesday, April 9th, 2019, over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ken Shadow. And this week's streaming services are brought to you by the Baltimore Public Internet Broadcasting. Right, Tony? That's right, Ken Shadow. Remember, folks, Guard Frequency is not a one-way conversation. We welcome your comments over at GuardFrequency.com and Discord.GuardFrequency.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at GuardFreak, and your feedback is an important part of what we do. So hit us up and tell us what's on your mind. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to our shows at Feeds.GuardFrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything on Friday nights, we know our audience. Then you should come join us at 10.30 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency live over at twitch.tv slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn Space Sim podcast ever? You can always support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the big Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us week on week. We hope you'll consider joining them because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Just head over to our website and click on the big Patreon logo to help out. And don't forget about our sister productions, Priority One and Heroes Rise. Priority One covers all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publication, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. And the housekeeping is done, so let's get on with the show. What have we got in store this week, Tony? In this week's Flight Deck, we bring you all the headlines from Simulated Space, including the latest news from Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, and a bunch of games we'd like to hear updates from, please. Next, we'll get the news from the Deep Black with Spencer McDunn on Galactic Public Radio. And after that, we continue our audio adventure, Guard Frequency Origins, now with a need, a need for speed. Finally, we open up the feedback loop and let you join in on the fun. Lace up your booties, campers. It's time to head out to the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Here are the top news bits from the world of space sims. We open up the YouTube Elite Dangerous Vaults for a trip back to December 2012, when a young and spry David Braden talks about releasing game features and stages and blocking access to star systems, and how he wants to walk around other people's ships and steal them. In Star Citizen news, Alpha 3.5 is released to the full and total PTU for full and total testing of a new planet. And in other news, Tony was right about the lost stuff again. And it's eerily quiet out there in Space Simland. Let's round up the no news is maybe good news, question mark, contestants? All right, so uh, first off, uh, for those of you who are Patreon subscribers, if you're getting the raw show feed, you just heard about eight minutes of David Braben uh, talking about his vision of the future for Elite Dangerous as of December 2012. Uh, so, and then, and then the game released about two years later, in December 2014. So from the time that he made that video to the time the game was released, uh, he 
some things were obvious, right? He, he said that these aspirational things that he talked about uh, were not going to be with release one. But here we are six years and a little change later, four years and a little change after the release. And one of the three that he talked about was one landing on planets. He got that. He did Two say, was, before you get on, he did say he didn't want that to be uh, just different colored terrains, and that's pretty much what we have. So I don't know if you count that. <laughs> well, okay. And so he so said, the, with, the, the, hey, wait, hey, this, he said hey, with hey, atmospheric effects, which we also slow don't Slow down. Okay. Slow down. Let me get the list out. I don't out. want you let to get go the past out. it, because we got to talk about it. That we're, we're not going past okay. it, but let me, get the, let me get the list out. Jeez. God. Lord. Okay, so... <laughs> There were three things that he talked about. One, landing on planets. Asterix. Okay, hold on. <laughs> two, two was uh, uh, blocking off stars. Or, uh, well, I should take it on the video. Was uh, walking around inside other people's uh, spaceships. Walking around inside them and, and maybe even stealing them. Three was blocked areas of actual space for later types of gameplay and additional content later on when, quote, those things are ready. So... Uh, four years later, we've got one sort of now. Well, he does have blocked off space. Well, but the, with the okay, well, let's let's finish let's finish Henry's thing first. So, Henry, your point was yes, that's correct. One asterisk. We've got planets, but they're mostly different color. They do have funguses and space pumpkins and space bonsai trees, right? That's not. I don't think that's exactly what he was describing. I I think no. he was describing planets like they have in no man's sky or uh you know that kind of thing so what he said specifically is we don't want pretty colored terrain with atmospheric effects and i'm thinking good because you don't have that because you don't have atmospheric (laughs) effects over your pretty terrains so or not even terrains he said height maps colored height maps and that's that's what we have and you know i think it's the best space sim experience out there so don't take it as too much of a shot but I think they're they're still working on getting where they need right. to be with planets. Period. He he did kind of describe most of those features as they currently are in Star Citizen. By the way, you know, not that Star Citizen has all the same features as Elite, but those particular features are kind of you know there well, in that other game. Yeah, well, and that, the idea is that both of these games, when in the pitch stage, because this was December 2012 for the video, and and you know October 2012 Star Citizen, right? Right. In the pitch stage, let's set the Wayback Machine for everybody here. These games sounded an awful lot alike. They did. Uh, you know, they were both Han Solo simulators. Yes. So, so, it, it, and so, part of my discussion, you know, we're, we, there's not a lot of news this week, so we're going to make some. And so, the the the, the discussion is like, so they started from this basically the same place and then took widely divergent paths. Right. We're they're in two very different places now. Both of these uh, 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 games. So. So on the on the the first uh, concept, the first aspiration, not stretch goal, but the first aspiration, we have one done asterisk, maybe sort of on on that one. The second one that he talked about was elite feet. He wanted an elite feet uh, feature. He wanted to be able to watch cargo being loaded into somebody's ship and maybe sneak on board with it. That 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 is way beyond the concept of elite feat that we have discussed in this yes. podcast before. Yes, yes. Because typically it's been like mostly RPG style elements or just candy stuff. Right? Well, let, let me start out by saying that he specifically said he started it out by saying that they were going to um, flush out the cockpit. Sure. Yeah. So that's a start. As a, but that's kind of where we are with VR, right? Right. It, right. So. Uh, that's an asterisk too, because we yeah, have exactly, exactly. 
because we we have the we have the full cockpit. Right. So asterisks there too, and and our the scope of our discussion on previous episodes have been, well, what can we do that's kind of gameplay, but not like a completely different concept change, sea change, for Elite Dangerous. Like the idea of someone being able to steal my ship in Elite, I'm not real fond of that idea. No, I mean, you could sneak on with the cargo. He literally said yeah, that. Yeah. I'm not sure that I'm fond of that model anymore. Now that I've been living with the game for four years, I don't like the idea that I could walk over to my landing pad and my ship's not there. Yeah, that's not, that is not a popular feature for people in Star Citizen. Yeah, I can't, I can't, so, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily mind having this one having an asterisk on it, but, but Jeff's kind of right, we, they've got the bones of it in there, maybe, because you can, in VR, look around your cockpit and stand up and walk around a little bit, but it's not anywhere near to the area, you know, to the, to the point where he was discussing uh, later on, so... And like he, he it's like half an asterisk maybe like a quarter of an asterisk for for that one here. The last one is the locking off of space. And what kind of twigged my interest in this is that just a week or so ago on Reddit, I saw someone uh, had a, a heat map, like a travel heat map of where people went in the galaxy. You know, there's a big you know there's obviously around the bubble. There's it's very brightly colored. The track to Colonia is very brightly covered. The track to Beagle Point has got some population. And there's like spider webbings of stuff uh, around. But there's a big fat hole in around the Coal 70 sector, which, as we know, is the permit-locked uh, area where we suppose the Thargoid stuff is. He talked about being there being areas, plural, but that Coal 71 was the only one that I saw. Now, I believe there are others. Isn't there one out by Colonia that's a bunch of, like... Uh, permit locked sectors. So I think there are several. You, you, you yeah, I, mean, I think you ran. Yeah, you ran into one, didn't you, Henry? You yeah, had to like drive around one. The coal one, and then there's kind of an area past it. I don't think the uh, Horsehead Nebula is in that coal sector, is it? It's in that direction, but I don't okay. think it's part of that whole field. Um, so, so there's a couple of places. I know that it's like pockets. I know the coal seventy sector is a big one because it's uh it's the one where everybody's attention is with the Thargoid right. stuff happening or the right. Guardian stuff happening out there. And they could always materialize more stars if they wanted to, right? That that were maybe I, I maybe they, they were Dyson enclosed or whatever, you know. I, I don't I don't think they can. I think the way that the Stellar Forge system has worked it works is that they the statistical model generates where the physical mass is supposed to be, and so it, it gets it, it, there's constraints on it. They can't just hand wavy them more stars into the model without breaking the model. So that was the problem he was addressing is that we have to bu- we're building the systems up first and those systems have to conform to our future plans. So we have to set aside stuff in the model that we want if we want to save things for later. We have to do it now. We have to plan ahead for the future. I think uh, they said something like only point whatever percent of the galaxy yeah. and elite has been explored. So if yeah. that's true anyway, there's plenty of space left and that means there can't possibly uh, be nowhere for them to find as big a field of unexplored stars as they want to stick a population of aliens if they choose. Because we haven't right. sc- scratched the surface on what they've already got. So, and, and if it's really that small a percentage, they could probably just black out some stars at some point and take them off and, and make them, you know, reserved, and nobody would know the difference until somebody happened to come across that that piece. But the, the, the point was, though, even in December 2012, before they turned the thing on, 
the design of the game was such that we are going to, at launch, there will be chunks of space that you are not allowed to go to. And we see, we, there's very clear evidence of the Coal 70 sector. And I think, yeah, Henry, you're right. There's been at least a couple of other little pockets that people have seen. So we're seeing evidence that that was a thing that happened at release. And it's there waiting for them to do something with. And we have not even a partial asterisk for that yet, as far as I can tell. So there's, there's not even a partial asterisk on getting content uh, uh, deployed to take advantage of those uh, fenced-off areas. So... My question is this: We've got until uh, 2020. We're going to we're gonna be twiddling our thumbs until 2020, right? There are three aspirational areas that he specifically identified uh, in his Kickstarter pitch that this is not going to be available on release date, but it's we're, we have definite plans to do these things later on. We have seen evidence that all three of those plans are at least in the works, kind of. At least the the physical and, and uh, computational capabilities are there. We know we we've seen evidence of this. My question is, which one of the three are they actually going to do? Which which one? This is just a, this is the speculation part of the podcast where we love the game we're building. Which one of those three things are they going to finish the get the asterisks taken off? Which one's coming first? I, I think it's the the elite peak. All right, so we got. He's going to finish off the elite feed. That's that would be one of the original aspirational goals, and we we've seen a lot of evidence for that. Well, hold on. They're not finish off. I think is is too strong of a term. You probably. You, I, you, I think what you really mean here is expand upon, right? Because even yeah. if they give us a little bit of elite feed, it's probably not the end of the full feature set. Okay. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. So I mean, even if we get just a social zone thing that we've been discussing yeah. before, I think that's more likely than your ability to sneak onto other people's ships and steal them and stuff would, like that. That would break the game in so even, many even ways. If, even if even if you're able to do that, like them being able to get like what what's how do you fight that? Right? Is there an FPS mechanic? Right. Like what's the what's the combat? Like you know, Star Citizen and many other games have. You know, this is a conundrum for them, right? And it, it uh, order of magnitude more work, right? Yeah. I don't think the Frontier team is really built for, for that kind of game. Well, and not only that, another point he made in the video was we want to make those expansions not painful for the players, right? I mean, it's, you know, I think have a, in, introducing an ability to have your ship stolen or steal someone else's ship without effective countermeasures that a casual player could employ relatively easily which would then negate the whole point of being able to get on someone's ship and steal it. I mean, it would, it would seem to be sort of a, a, a worthless endeavor right. to do that. I mean, like I said, it also implies all sorts of other combat potentially, right? Like what's yeah. the point of just being able to walk over to somebody and hide in the cargo and steal the ship, right? That, that seems like uh, that's a single feature that's in theory like the tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. So which of those three do you see, do you think? I see a little bit of everything, right? Um, you think going to try to take all three? I mean, that's... No, but I mean, they'll, like, for instance, they'll probably have an expansion on the planets in some regard. Maybe some simple atmospheric stuff, right? Um, they'll probably have um, some sort of implementation of elite feed for social stuff, like RPG elements like we talked about. And then maybe... And then they'll probably start the staging for the next event and that's probably going to happen around some sort of alien which which makes the most sense is that there's a new alien that comes out of one of these these black bubbles right so why you know why not all three right okay 
well, you, okay. Maybe not. Maybe not. I, I, I'm thinking smaller. I'm thinking maybe they just try to do one of them. Yeah, all I right, think the same. Not? Go for it. I all. think we'll see atmospheric planets. Um, I think we'll probably have gas giant mining and probably atmospheric worlds we can land on and probably vegetation and wildlife on them. I don't expect cityscapes. I think we'll get little pockets of little cities like we already have. We have that. Yeah, yeah. and and I think that. we'll see that. And I think we'll see, um, you know, just vegetation and, and uh, a little bit of wildlife. But you won't be able to do much with it. Chase a rabbit in your SRV, maybe. Um, We're talking about the 2020 paid expansion, right? Yeah. 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 Who the f*** is going to pay for that? I think I think um, I would to have a better experience on planets, more to do there, and if there's you know if there's things to explore there, if it was a big exploration uh, update, I would go for that. Absolutely, I, I don't like, think legs like are possible. Exploration kind of stuff. Or? I don't know. I, I don't think I need to pay for it. Well, I'm sure what would well, be you there don't, would be more. Jeff doesn't have to because Jeff already bought yeah, his Jeff already paid I think that was Jeff's thing. If they're going to do something and they're going to charge, you know, 60 bucks for it or something like that, it has to be big. And that's why I say potentially all three things. All right. Okay. Well, all right. I, I, I don't know. I don't I, I think the, the planet with atmosphere and vegetation, all that, I'm sure is going to be procedurally generated. I think that's going to be take a lot more work than what they've got into it now. That's what I'm thinking. That's why that's what we would get is you would get this big expansion on that part of the game where you're getting atmospheric worlds with procedurally generated content. It's going to take their whole art team to make it look good. It's going to take their whole programming team to make it work good. It's not... I don't see us getting that plus being able to walk around. And if I had to choose, I think I would probably get more out of having more places to go and more to explore in Elite than being able to get up and walk around the inside of my ship when I can already stand up and look around in VR. You know what? They're not going to add like bars to go and hang out at. They're not going to. Um, they're not. They're not going to add that kind that, of stuff. That stuff is trivial. You know? like like that kind of work. Like all right, let's say, let's say they do. Like you land on a planet, right? You get down to your you know your station menu and you click a button to like walk out of your ship and you have a little um, little area you can walk around. Pretty much do the same things, right? The great thing about that feature, and again, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to oversell it because I don't personally care all that much. But the great thing about it, from a dev perspective, is it's pretty much an entirely different mini game. Like those developers can be completely separated from everybody else, and then develop the thing on, 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 by themselves. It is a, a set of art assets that, you know, are not used for anything else, so they're not going to hold anybody else up, and they pretty much just, you know take some crap off the shelves, you know, go to, you know, Turbo Squid and buy a couple of uh, sci-fi bars or whatever the hell <laughs> yeah. they want to do, right? right? It's not a very complicated thing to, for, for somebody to build, for a handful of developers to build in basically their spare time. So it's and they've got quite a while to do Let's it. think about that, though. In your vision of that, do you select go to bar from a menu and then materialize in the bar as a person? And then you just have an avatar you walk around? Or are you talking about I, I, standing up from your seat like you do in Star Citizen, walking to a door, opening a door, walking down a ramp, and then into another door? That is a whole lot think, more than I, you described. I think, I think the button would be, no, because then you have to do uh, interiors for all the yeah, ships, and that's, right? Yeah, that's why and I that's think in Elite, we'll just get a menu. That is crippled Star Citizen in terms of art assets, no. No, I mean, like, the button would be exit ship. And, you know, the hangar that you see in, like, your, your mod menu or whatever, you're just at... 
the foot of your ship and you could walk around the outside, uh, you know, you know, take a look at all the, the stuff you've done and all the artwork you've done rather than, you know, the camera angles you normally see, but you're just walking around at this point. And then you walk over to the, the little go-kart train thing or whatever, and it goes to different places in the station, right? It's just a little mini game that yeah. does essentially the same functions. Maybe you have, you can build all sorts of stuff on top of that, you know, with more RPG elements, more, uh, 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 maybe maybe some specific quest lines have animations and, and audio associated with them that are on the station itself. That We've would seen be the that. best. We've seen that. would that. be like a you know Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, right? That kind of stuff. That would be extremely easy to plug into Elite as a completely separate module that some that guys work on independently. You know, because it doesn't have to touch the rest of the, the game other than touching like mission systems and things like that from very far outside. Well, I, th- I think, like I said, they, they've got time to work on it. I think maybe touching all three would be a little bit ambitious, but it also would make it an easier sell if you can make compelling gameplay arguments for all those systems. And yeah. it makes it a lot easier for people to justify shelling out 60 bucks for it. So I I, I I saw the video. I saw the heat map of the of the galaxy, and I'm like, they've got bits and pieces of all three of those here. And I just thought, well, which one Which one are we going to see? I, uh, I still think the... the the feet, the walking around part's gonna, like Brian said, that it's gonna be the easiest to do. I mean, if you look at other space games like uh, Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic, or Star Citizen, or I mean, we're already walking around. I mean, the the this, they don't have to recreate uh, uh, something that that already is done in games. The landing on planets, though, I mean. Except for the the you know the rewrite the experimental code that that Star Citizen did that that's really not generally done, and, and Lee would have to do it totally differently, right? Yeah, and yeah, because exactly. their planets are totally different. Yeah, why are they totally different? In what way? Their procedural generation is extremely different than Star Citizen's procedural generation, right? So they're what it'll be whatever they do in terms of landing on atmospheric planet planets would be a very frontier implementation. The, the, what we've seen again, the bones of this are that there are some. They've got their seeding system, their Stellar Forge uh, seeding system, is already sort of set up to conditionally populate things with certain features. The, these types of planets get space pumpkins. These types of planets get uh, space bonsai trees. If uh, you know you, you you see them near craters with active on, on planets that have you know active volcanism with temperature ranges from X to Y. I mean, they've got that sort of stuff. It's in the bones. It's it's yeah, there. If, if you fly, if you fly to scan a planet, and I, I mean, and uh, there's planets with atmospheres already in the in the game, yeah. uh, land masses, oceans, atmosphere. Uh, right now, they're just pictures. But uh, the problem is, is transitioning from the picture to the actual planet. I mean, the Stellar Forge is already. I mean, if has already determined what kind of planet it's going to be. The problem is now that they're going to have to, they would have to make that accessible. See, I have to unpack it. I've looked a lot at how the planets are actually um, generated in Elite Dangerous and not so much generated, but rendered because I've, I've played with it just for things that I'm playing with that I think is, are interesting, like trying to render planets and things in C++ and whatnot. And I see that their, their technique is basically to render a flat picture of what an unwrapped version like a skin of the planet would be and they don't even map that to like a globe in space as you approach it's it it's a cube yeah you're i don't even know if you're seeing a cube i believe it's a it might be a plane 
that's just always facing you like a decal. So it's just always yeah. in the distance. So it's it's just like a solid thing. And then as you approach it, it's not like that rounds out. As it approaches, it, as you approach it, it's chunked, and then each chunk gets rendered as a 3D terrain with its height based on the uh, the image that's you know it's rendered from. So it starts to chunk, and it gets to smaller chunks as you approach it. So all the planets at this point are pretty good at making terrains because that's what they can do so far. Making it so that you have atmospheres and things like that, or water. You don't have to change so much of what they're doing, you know, with rendering the planet in the first place. It's just that now there's more environments to build. They've got to make physics for water. They've got to make physics for clouds and how they work, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's a whole lot of things to add on top of the basis of it, which is just render a a height map and put a skin on it. Um that's not going to change it's just adding to it so i think it's not unreasonable to think atmospheric planets even really vivid awesome ones are possible brian said uh, star citizen is the only ones doing it but there's a lot of places you see procedurally generated rich planets with a lot going on that are way better than the ones in elite right now um Je- jeff said that oh uh, was i'm sorry i thought that was you yeah um but you know even no man's sky has great planets com- compared to um, elite, fantastic planets. Well, the, the problem that Elite has to avoid, you know, is the No Man's Sky alien problem, right? Because yeah. if you're going to make these cool atmospheric planets and you're going to populate them with, you know, space crabs or whatever, you don't want to make this this procedural stuff that just ends up looking like garbage, you know, that, that No Man's Sky has in abundance. The thing that Elite has going for it is that in, in the fiction higher life forms and you know not sentient life is extraordinarily rare like hardly ever see it uh, but even higher life forms are somewhat uh, rare from planet to planet not and not every planet has evolved elephants and crabs um, so you have pond scum have, but not cats yes yeah, right exactly so so you know that i think that that may i think that also comports well with their sort of gameplay uh, uh, theory right like everyone can find pond scum I mean, you're going to scan uh, a planet and it's got an Earth-like and that'll have pond scum on it. Way to be. There's like 18 different kinds of pond scum and you can check it off in your codex. And once you've found all 18 varieties, you're now the pond scum master. Way to go. But finding the, the planet that has the higher uh, life forms or whatever, you're going to find... Cats with opposable thumbs? Cats yeah. with opposable thumbs. <laughs> right? that, that, that are the only survivors of a robot apocalypse <laughs> from the Guardians. Exactly. That see your ship um, go by and tell all their friends, dude, you won't believe what I saw in the sky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, but I mean, those those places will be rare, and if and finding them will be a big deal. Much like finding Guardian sites for the first twenty four hours after a patch, they're a big deal for twenty four <laughs> hours until everybody finds them. And like, okay, now we got to go make some more cats. So we got to go make uh, rhinoceroses now. But uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it fits with their model to to do it like that too. So, well, all right. So that was. I just wanted to like have a little fun discussion. We've got twenty five minutes worth of uh, raw footage on that. I think mission accomplished. Uh, but we want to hear. We uh, this is definitely one where I think we can get some some good feedback. Uh, narrow question. These three things were sort of uh, in Braven's vision. We've got evidence for all three of them kind of being there already. Which one do you think they're working on? Maybe all three, two of the three, whatever. That'll be our community question this week, just a preview. But I do want to move on to a couple other things we wanted to talk about. Uh, three, 3.5 on Star Citizen is, uh, is fully PTU'd. I've been, I've been playing it some more this week. Um, 
trying out the the flight model and uh, trying to fight with it, like you know, in combat. Um, one thing I guess we didn't talk about last week is the auto aim mode. Um, we had talked about that uh, being mentioned on ATV a while back, and I actually wanted to try out and see what does this, what difference does this make in combat. And so the it is not the same. So for those who have not tried it, it is not the same thing as Elite Dangerous's auto aim. I mean, well, conceptually it is, but but in in practicality it is it is. Um, it is fairly different. The window in which you, so you still target, you start, you target a ship. If you're in fixed gun mode, which your guns are basically fixed forward, then um, if you get on target and you have gimbals enabled, you'll get a, a different symbol. And basically the, um, you, you, so you don't have to actually be at the target. You have to be in a, I don't know, maybe a 50% of the reticle around the target. And then the, the symbol will change, which means your, your gimbals are actually pointing at the target. And, and at that point, if you fire, it'll be hitting the target, no matter where, if you fire, fire in that, that window. The, the thing that it, it, it does, so it's not like Elite Dangerous in the fact that like the gimbals in Elite Dangerous, you get within maybe a quarter of the screen of the target and your gimbals are going to hit it, right? So in Elite Dangerous, like you said, you get around a quarter of the screen, your gimbals lock on, it's all good. And in, in Star Citizen now, you have to get really close to the target for your gimbals to do anything at all. And so uh, people have done some analysis in the forums and say that, you know, hey, you know, there's, you, uh, if you're running with gimbals, then, then, and then, yeah, and you're flying in fixed, then you're the, the, the murder king of the world, right? Because you don't have to be nearly as accurate. But, you know, at least in, in my initial exper- experiments, it's, it's not really the the I win button that a lot of people are claiming. Um, there's still a very um, good balance between fixed guns, which are more powerful, and uh, and the auto gimbals. You know, when when using a a uh, using a joystick, if you're using a, a trackball or a mouse, then just free aiming um, gives you much more range in terms of uh, your gimbals for for where you can aim because the the ship can be the top third of your screen and you can and if you have free aim on you can just tar- move your tar- your your gimbals up there and fire so um, it does but it does change how you end up playing the game um, in that even if you have gimbals on and even if you're using a mouse you're going to want to try and swap between fixed weapon emplacements and free aim with the uh, with the gimbals depending on what your your combat situation is so if you're if you're if, if you've if you're if you're fixed you'll you'll swing your ship around try and get them in a good place and if your your target is moving a whole bunch you know like they're real close then you'll probably go free look and and, and, and target him because your gimbals can move faster than him but as, if he's a little bit farther away it's much more advantage advantageous to lock your lock your your reticle and let your basically your computer do the work of targeting him at a distance as your closing range. And so it, it does give you a lot more flexibility in, in those configurations, though. So the auto aim is just like a fudge factor that takes a fixed weapon and makes it not quite fixed. It, it's it, it's still pretty fixed. No, no, no. You have to have gimbals. Okay, you have so, to have a gimbaled weapon. So the gimbaled weapon it makes it act more like a fixed gun. Then do you get yes. any? Do you get yes. any? It, it basically lets if if you're if you're flying with a joystick and you're not very good at aiming, it 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 it, uh, it makes up for that a lot. 
Okay. Um, if you're if you're better at aiming with a joystick, then you want fixed guns because fixed guns are more powerful. Um, they're actually all the same gun; it just changes weapon size, mounts, and things like right, that. But right. anyway, you end up getting a lot more DPS if you're really good with aiming with a joystick. All right. So the the trade off is less time on target, even if you're good with a joystick, because people are twitchy and they, they fly yes. around. Exactly. And, yeah. All right. So, all right. Well, everyone's going to do that that calculation for themselves. But combat, uh, like, uh, but on the other things, combat's interesting. I'd say I'm not I'm not totally used to the new flight metal yet. It does definitely does makes you think more six degrees of freedom because of the way that you're kind of defaultly in uh, decoupled mode and letting go of a button pretty much zeroes out your velocity in that direction eventually. So you start decelerating in a velocity if you're not pressing it, and so. Um, you're always pressing some sort of velocity button if you're fighting in that mode. You're pressing. You're always pressing the go button. Yes, in some yeah. direction, right? It's yeah. not always forward. It could be backwards. It right. could be left or right, or whatever. Right. So it, you're, at least in my experience, I'm playing with mouse and keyboard. I do not fly like an airplane in that. You know, I fly more like a descent ship in, in that right. regard. Or I go like I, I swap between airplane and descent ship. Uh, if I was playing with a Hotas, I'd probably fly probably fight more like an airplane but i don't have a hotas so well better get that fixed all right so uh anybody else jump into 3.5 if any concerns questions comments snyder marks glowing effusive praise no yes no okay uh, uh, oh, oh one one quick thing i yeah. did i did finally land on art corp uh, pro tip you have to use auto land or your ship will explode um good to know good to know and it would and the area 18 pretty much looks the layout is similar to what it was pre- previous to 3.5. You know, like when you were able to go out of Area 18 outside of the outside of landing on it, they had the menu option just to go to Area 18. It looks the layout is similar there, but the art's totally different. Like all the ads and stuff, and there's some mission givers there which are animated and have dialogue and, and interesting things like that. But um, and they have a and there's a a train between the the oh. entry port and the. Oh. You gotta have a train. You gotta have the train. It is yeah. a good. It's, it, it's train a cool train. Oh, it's, it's, a, oh. it's a flying train this time. Ooh. Yes, it is a cool train. Does it come every two minutes or every three minutes? It's about two minutes. Oh, oh, fantastic! All right, good. Well, train citizens on 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 course then. Good good job. All right. Uh, so uh, uh, speaking of things that are on course and on the job, uh, so uh, member member last week when I went on a rant about the lawsuity things and how eventually I said it's it doesn't matter. Because it's just going to settle. Did it? Uh, not yet, but um, somebody's waving a white flag, and it ain't CIG. Uh, so uh, uh, the, today they, uh, uh, I think, was it today? Let me check my, let me check my dates here really quick. The official filing documentary stuff uh, here. Um, we've got a uh, a uh, filing that is a motion to continue uh, the uh, litigants, the parties have uh, filed a joint stipulation to continue hearing on defendant's motion for bond pursuant to California Civil Code, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so if, essentially, it was things were going to be start uh, being due uh, uh, today. Plaintiff's opposition was due today. It was hearing set for the 26th. They've pushed the hearing back to June with the response being due at the end of May. And uh, so basically they've, they've said, and the d- defendant for, or the deadline for CIG to respond to discovery, to turn over all the dirty, dirty secrets that they don't want Crytek to find out about, uh, is 30 days after plaintiff 
ponies up the money. So if if plaintiff really wants the dirty, dirty secrets, if Crytek wants the dirty secrets, they can pay us. They can pay the two million dollar bond, or uh, the court uh, denies the motion for bond, saying that no, no, Crytek doesn't have to pay this. Or uh, August twenty seventh, twenty nineteen. So this is either either going to be pushed off until basically late August to get this all sorted out, or more than likely, it's going to settle uh, because it's, it's it, the they say whereas the parties have conferred and agree that postponing the hearing on the motion for bond will facilitate complete briefing and parties' ongoing efforts to resolve the matter through settlement. This is this is a white flag. The white flag just went up. So, this is a filing by Crytek. No, this is a this is a joint stipulation, meaning that it's fi- it's signed by both. Both parties have agreed that this is how they want the cor- the the matter to be calendared, and almost and virtually always, um, the judge signs these because it's just it's a calendaring um, matter. And if it looks like the parties are working on it, just not in court. Judges are very happy because then they can take a trial off the calendar. They're like, "Oh, good, you guys are going to work it out and settle it. We'll just go ahead and delete that and you know, free up free up that spot for for uh, people that can't get it worked out." So it's it's coming to I believe it's coming to a close. We it'll, there'll probably be something done by the summer uh, to to get it uh, worked out. But I think, well, for good or for ill, the strategy the the facts changed since. The investors became public, right? There's, we, everyone know, now knows that there's a checkbook in the room. And when they filed the motion, that's basically saying, this is how big the check could possibly be. It's going to be much smaller than this. But this is the realm of possibility of where the check might be amount. Uh, you know, this is the order of magnitude we're thinking that it might happen. And Crytek looked at that and went, okay. And so now it's going to be down to sorting out what the actual number is, what words are going to be in the settlement document, whether or not there's an NDA attached to it, which there will be. Um, uh, so this is I, this is the beginning of the end of the lawsuit. So are you happy or sad that this is the beginning? I, I, I whatever. I mean, it, it, as soon as as soon as the investors walked into the room, the lawsuit was over. I mean, as a practical matter, when that when that became public, it made no sense for Crytek to try to kill them. Unless there was revenge, I mean, this could all be taken apart if there's if the revenge is still the motivating factor. But the fact that this is a joint stipulation means that the revenge is no longer the fully motivating factor. Crytek signed <laughs> off on this. Crytek, they both said, "Let's take a time out and talk this out." Both sides said, "Let's talk this out." And the 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 uh, all all the all the factors when they filed that motion for bond, full of all the crap that. You know, Crytek is going to go bankrupt, and they're not from around here, and they're terrible people, and all the other kind of stuff. But when they had the dollar figure out there, somebody at somebody at the law firm went, "Here's how big the payday could possibly be. We're owed a bunch of money from Crytek for the legal fees. The the having our butts handed to us on that one issue, which was the big issue, it was mm-hmm. sixty to seventy percent of the case probably. That didn't help." And the remaining factors are not going to get us a huge payday, and we're not going to be—we don't have the leverage of shutting down the uh, the game as much as we used to. I mean, it's still possible, but uh, unlikely. Um, all those things together, I, it's it, it, it's the beginning of the end. And am I disappointed? As a lawyer, you want cases to settle. You know, why why be a vexatious litigant? Don't do that. 
Uh, am I disappointed that we're not going to see all the dirty laundry? Oh, of course. Come on. I mean, that would be such good radio. Come on. All the discovery it's stuff, the stuff getting out there. Stuff you live for on this podcast we could, right we now. Could just, we could tear into that stuff for years. Oh, wait, we have been. Okay, but I mean, for more years. Uh, but it's it seems like the uh, uh, cooler heads are prevailing, wiser heads are prevailing. Uh, some money will change hands in the direction of CIG to Crytek. That's the direction I think it'll go because that's, I mean, Crytek basically saw the number CIG was looking at it and went, we can live with that. Somewhere in the neighborhood we can live with. Um, and then and it'll go from there. So here we are. Finally, there's a bunch of games that are kind of missing in action. Um, the things that I would, I would have hoped we would have had something by now. Q1 has come and gone. Q1 of, of, of 2019. So technically half of early 2019 uh, is on the books already, right? So anybody that said early 2019, um, you, know, you know, we're, we're looking at the watch now going, all right, that half of that's gone now. So I have a little list here. Um, first one on the list I have is Descent Underground. Uh, early 2019, I thought, was the, was the target. Um, yeah, it was for quiet. their uh, new single-player story campaign thing, right? Yeah. So I, they're, they're kind of quiet, kind of quiet. I saw there was a Steam uh, forum thread out there that was like, oh, but it's dead, you know, we're gonna, any day now Wingman's going to come out and say that oh, it's not coming out. I find that unlikely. Um but people are. I, I haven't seen anything on Facebook or anything like that. I'd follow all those guys. It seems yeah. like they're still working. Yeah, I, I, like I said, it's just one of those things. Like an update would be sweet. An update would be nice. Let us know what, what you're thinking. Yeah. Uh, before before people before people the you know before the torches and pitchforks come out, um, you know that would be nice. Um, Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. They said early 2019 release again. You know technically they've got till June 30th and they're still in the first half of 2019. But yeah, they haven't had an update since December. I think was their last update. Yeah, I would. I'd like to see. Like to see something from those guys. That'd be swell. Um, uh, Dual Universe has been pretty quiet. Uh, they did. They did have a milestone. Uh, they, they were able to get thirty thousand simulated players concurrently into their server. So I mean, that's interesting. They faked thirty thousand accounts and got them all hooked into their server at the same time. So that's good. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it, it seems like things are continuing, but that's not, not a lot of, like, breakthrough gameplay or, or big announcements there. And then Interstellar Prime, which we covered a couple weeks ago, they've got six days left on their Kickstarter, and they still have eighteen grand to go out of their $30,000 goal. So it's not looking good there uh, for, for that one. So Have we covered that before? Well, real briefly, you might have been out. You, you might have been gone that week, but I, we just kind of looked at it. There was a Kickstarter for it. It's a, it's a game that combines... Uh, real-time strategy with a little bit of space sim with a little bit of RPG uh, elements. They've kind of kind of mixed it all together. It looked like a pretty cool concept. Um, and then and a couple of our listeners um, tweaked me to it, so I thought we'd take a look at it. Uh, but if there's only when, by the time the show comes out, they're only going to have a day or two left on the Kickstarter, uh, they're, and they're pretty they're they're looking. It's not looking good to like they're going to meet that goal. So um, if you're interested and want to chip in, now's the time. Uh, but because uh, I think they're on the if you don't if they don't hit that funding this uh, the Kickstarter they're on basically they they don't get funded uh, nobody gets charged so um, but yeah so I, I, everybody who said early 2019 clock's ticking um, you know you could do the popular thing and just say you know what we're going to be releasing in 2020 like everybody else 
everybody else is releasing in 2020. Why not? Why not just follow follow them and get on that train? No Man's Sky's yeah. not. We get that this summer. VR for so No Man's far. Sky. So far. You know, give it time. Oh, they don't miss deadlines. <laughs> They'll come out feature complete on day one. <laughs> I have faith. Uh, well, probably, yeah, probably No Man's Sky. They never lied to us before. Yeah, lie is a strong word. No, it's not. Lies. They lied. It's not a strong word. There, but, but they got better. They oh, got yeah, better. they did. I, I can't wait for VR. It's yeah. going to be good. It'll be pretty good. I'll, I'll look forward to it. And nothing else will play No Man's Sky until all those other games come out. I think of all those ones you just covered, I think, you know, I, I have I have a special place in my heart for Descent Underground, but I'm going to say Rebel Galaxy Outlaw is the one I'm looking for them for. Me too. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about... Uh, um, uh, Starfighter. Uh, well, I mean, we we've heard from them, I guess. Yeah, they, they've been. Yeah, they, they've been them. out. They I mean, like they said they released their like sort of roadmap ish thing and said here's what's coming. Sort so of. yeah, it, yeah. I mean, but it's it was it was an announcement of future plans and things to come. And they're still and very clearly they're still in development, right? I mean, they're still these other games are ones that have said, oh, we're so close. I mean, not Interstellar Prime, but I mean, you know, because of those Kickstarter thing. But like, oh, we're getting there. Oh, things are, you know, and it's like, well, okay, uh, more. You know, Temba his arms wide. Give me, give me some more. Uh, I like everything. All right. Well, that rounding that up uh, for and again, once again, gentlemen, we have a unique and rare talent of taking a week of basically no news and turning it into forty-five minutes of, of interesting space sim discussion. I, I applaud. I applaud all of you. Well done. Well done. Once again. And we can do it again next week. We'll do it again next week. <laughs> Unless someone gives us some news. Somebody give us some news. <laughs> news. And now that we're all caught up on what space sim news there was, let's get caught up on space news with Galactic Public Radio. Good evening from Galactic Public Radio on NC. I'm Spencer McDunn, and these are the top headlines from around the known galaxy. Federal authorities are investigating a rash of corporate deaths. For the latest, we go to Smooth Furnace. Thanks, Spencer. According to some reports, the Rackham Capital Investments Executive Office is now an unofficial pirate war zone. First, the unexpected heart attack that killed Chief Financial Officer Aaron Salazar shook the financial firm and caused its namesake, Calico Zach Rackham, to go into seclusion from, quote, grief, end quote. Then, senior executive Darren O'Shea, the firm's personnel manager, died in a freak limousine malfunction earlier this week. While the deaths of two high-ranking executives would destabilize any major company, the unique, and some say suspicious, connection between them is that the same person took over both jobs. Taja Gavaris is now in charge of finance and personnel at Rackham, and with CEO Calico Zach nowhere to be found, it seems like a corporate coup d'etat is well underway. Reporter Brianna Blanco has been following Calico Zach's career for the Federal Times, and she has taken the unusual step of reporting that the Federal Intelligence Agency has asked for her cooperation in investigating Rackham Capital Investments. Even stranger, she has agreed to do so. Whether this is a breakdown of traditional journalistic norms or an indication of serious negligence on the part of security officials remains to be seen. Officially, authorities have stated that neither death, viewed in isolation, appeared to be foul play. But with the long-standing rumors of Rackham's previous life as an interstellar gentleman of fortune, 
it is at least possible that old scores are being settled in the boardroom rather than out in the deep black. From Denver Station in the Anseeth System for Galactic Public Radio, I'm Smooth Furnace. Thanks, Smooth. Security forces successfully retrieved and disarmed the Lucifer device from Marchample Terminal. The cult, known as the Children of Tothos, has been preparing to detonate the weapon as part of a doomsday ritual planned by its leader, Barnabas Cole. According to reports published in the Federal Times, Cole was shot while making final preparations for this station's destruction. The cult has been accepting new acolytes who docked at the terminal, provided that the crews of the ships sacrificed one member to prove their loyalty. Federal Intelligence Agency Senior Agent Rochelle Kim staged the death of one of her agents in order to gain access to the station, then personally neutralized the cult leader. With Cole being the only casualty among the cultists, some experts are questioning the FIA's use of force policy. The FIA had sufficient personnel on the station's control deck to arrest the rest of the cult's leadership and secure the station. But Senior Agent Kim felt it necessary to kill Cole rather than arrest him. Hudson administration officials, speaking off the record, have indicated that there is little appetite to question the manner of Cole's demise. Finally, in local news, Guard Frequency Response officials announced the arrest of a group of hackers who have been infiltrating mission boards around the system. Associate Director Richard Clemens told GPR, quote, The group has been able to hijack legitimate law enforcement bounties and change the target IDs of wanted criminals. It appears that the hackers have decided to swap the names of local celebrities instead of obscure pirates. I suppose their theory was that no bounty hunter would actually take the job, but that the original target would no longer have their name posted on the killboard. What seemed like a clever solution will cost them some jail time, end quote. In unrelated news, I'm back from my brief vacation. Until the next turn of the world for Galactic Public Radio, I'm Spencer McDunn. Good night. Tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. So how far away is this thing? You can't tell. You can't resolve it. You can tell. You can tell a direction. It's it's high. It's in a slightly higher orbit than you, but it appears to be kind of shadowing. In, in my it, expert opinion, can does it look like it can see us? Uh, roll a. Uh, roll a systems check. I never know where anything is. That's under the... Uh, That's on the, uh, the sheet, the character. Vehicles. 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 There we go. I got a six. Uh, you can't tell. Like I said, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard. You, like I said, all you can tell is a direction. You can't really tell how far away it is because the contact won't resolve on any of your systems. Would moving help anything? Well, you can ask around. Do we have any fighters on board? Can we send a small craft with low heat emissions closer to get a better look? 
You do like not a have a, the. Uh, presuming you're asking Valis this, she'll tell you yeah. that no, we don't have any uh, fighter attachments. We had to scoop out most everything to make room for the uh, passenger bays. Commander Valis, permission to move into a higher orbit for closer inspection of the uh, anomaly. Won't that give us away? You'll have to get into a higher orbit and, and use a lot of thrust. Uh, that'll that won't that paint a big bright bright spot. We were uh, just talking about this being a trap, and you want to intentionally go in there and spring it? I think we're just trying to see what we're looking at. I'm weary weary of things that can see us. Very well, Mr. Martin. Go ahead. uh, Can I attempt to pilot stealthy? (laughs) You may may try a tactics roll. I want you to try a tactics roll, and this one's going to be opposed by me. Well, by the by the by the pilot of the ostensible other vessel, which you're not sure that's what that is. Can someone else lend lend tactical knowledge here? I'm sorry, you grabbed uh, the pilot seat all by your lonesome. This is on you. I'm good at spaceship piloting. I'm not so good at tactics. Oh, that's unfortunate because this doesn't call for a good pilot. This calls for a gentle hand on the tiller and being smart about where you're pointing your nozzles. (laughs) Wow! All right, here I go. I'm pressing the button. Do it. It was horrible. All it was right, really so, horrible. All right, so uh, Kin Shadows 5 versus Random Objects 10. Uh, we are, you uh, You have, nothing has changed, obviously, but it's not getting any better. The, 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 doing that has not resolved the contact. Does anybody else have any other ideas? Valis, do you, do you have any suggestions? And she says, "You're. I'm the army grunt here. You people are the space cadets. I have can, no can, idea. Can, can we use like computer communications to uh, get signals off of the thingy? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, is there a way to ping it without ping it's 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 um uh, whatever it's nav ID thing without." giving away our location in the process. That seems to be something that might fall under the uh, the electronic warfare gambit. What does Mr. Rexford think about it, making that attempt? I think that's a good idea. Well, all right then. I would like you to roll a... I'd like you to roll a sleight of hand check. You're trying to be sneaky about this. Why don't you roll a sleight of hand check? Yes, I'm trying to steal whatever it is that that's is right. out there. You're trying to you're trying to steal access oh, to whatever that is out there. Roll. All right, all right. So that's nice. good. So let's see what happens here. Oh, Mr. Rexford rolled a 10 and the ostensible contact, which you don't know what it is, rolled an 11. That seems unfortunate. Seems My nimbly unfortunate. fingers just weren't good enough. It was, it, was, it was a close thing, though. It was a close thing, though. Do so. we have any we have any probes? Uh, she uh, uh, says nothing that would do this. We have the planetary probes that every ship has, but... Nothing that would scan for. Uh, well, we just need to get a need to get a distance first, right? Well, no, I guess we. It's too fuzzy to even aim at. I'm guessing, huh? Well, you do have a direction. You just don't know how far away it is. I mean, logistically. I mean, just, just like practically world speaking wise, the best sensors in the dangerous uh, world on the ships can resolve contacts out to about fourteen or fifteen kilometers, which seems like a ridiculously short distance in fiction. That's how. That's how that is. So you know it's somewhere between 500 meters, which is the absolute cl- uh, closest it would be uh, before it automatically register on your sensors, and you know 14, 15 kilometers out. You know it's some distance in there. We could, we could, if we could fire an object and 
time how long it took before it disintegrated. <laughs> you tell how far <laughs> it was. I don't know, man. I feel like we were invited here. I know we're being careful, but shouldn't we just call them and say, hey, guys, because, you know, they, they invited us here. If it's a trap, we're going to spring it anyway. We're not going to assault this ship without knowing if the guy that called us is on board. I feel like we should just ring them up. I'm more in favor of taking a wide berth and maybe flying uh, sort of in an orbit um, pattern and see if it moves. We're on the we're on the opposite side of the planet from the space station. That's correct. Uh, if we if we try and do a, I guess in some sort of geosynchronous orbit, if we uh, if we push to a higher orbit, which is what what Valis was saying, then um, you, you did you did you did already go up. You did already move up to a higher orbit. You just weren't able to be stealthy about it. You, that was the tactics thing. You, so you did move up. You did move up, but it, it seems like that if if it is if it is a real contact. Which, you know, we're not saying anything like that at, at the moment. You know, could just be a sensor ghost that's rolling against you. You don't know. Um, but if it, but it seemed like it would sort of keep in pace, right? It's like if it, it didn't it didn't change orientation, but that could be because it's not real or because it's keeping uh, keeping pace with you. So uh, the, the the next suggestion on the board was, I believe, uh, what was what would you say, uh, Acrosi? I said move uh, more in a parallel. Right, rather uh, trajectory than, okay. from it rather Tra- than straight towards it to so, try and see if it moves from that. All right. So this is going to be, does the sensor ghost change if instead of trying to intercept it, you sort of like try to parallel it and see Correct. if you can do that. I think that we're going to have to sort of, that's a, that's a, that's going to be a tricky sort of sensory type thing. So if the person running the sensors would like to roll an insight check to see if she can tease he- out... Tease out the say, background movement. Is, is that really Henry this time? Oh, I'm sorry, Henry. Yeah, dude, should we just change chairs? You know what it is. I think Tony's sexist and he thinks like a woman can't be fixing all these systems. No, what it is like, is that's that Tony. That's not a way to to be. Hey, <laughs> Henry. When we play bridge, when we play bridge crew, what are you usually? I'm engineer. You're usually the engineer. Yeah. So that's okay. <laughs> this is my own personal bias that growing from experience. So. Would the sensor operator please raise their hand, be they male or female? Okay. I got a 10, baby. Henry gets a 10. But you can't even see if I raise my hand. That's true. You need a camera. Um, And I got an 8. So, uh, or uh, not I, the ostensible sensor ghost, which may be a real thing, uh, got an eight. So that, so uh, you're Henry is able to discern there's just a little bit of a delay. There's like a little bit of a delay between the the witty rejoinders movements and the sensor ghost. So it looks like it's a reaction uh, to it, but you still can't quite pin it down. Um, so uh, would anyone who's running maybe the engineer console like to make an attempt uh, to see if they can uh, uh, quiet down the, uh, the, the profile of the ship even farther uh, to maybe catch the thing off guard? Of course I would like to try that. Then you should do that. You should roll a systems check for me. As soon as I remember where systems is, there it is. Oh, my. An 11. That's an excellent roll, which I beat with Ah. my roll 10. So that's an unfortunate thing. So you you, te- you try to you try to uh, quiet down the systems uh, a little farther, reduce your heat emissions, but it, you you did a really great job. But it just that thing is just sticking to you like uh, uh, like glue. So Valis gets kind of frustrated, and she goes, "I we need more information. I don't know if that thing out there is legitimate or if it's being sent from maybe Colonel Mandon." And she stops for a second. 
And then she looks at uh, at uh, at Roland and says, "Would you mind taking your hand off the uh, weapons control for just a minute?" It's not my hands aren't on the weapons control. Oh, good. Then she sort of elbows your elbow out of the way. I'm at the pilot seat. Right. With the, that has the trigger on it. With, you got the guns. You got the guns. I got, I got the other, somebody else had the, the weapons. Sorry. And then she says, will you please deploy the hard points? She, she says that to you. Mr. Deployed. All right. So she turns off everything except the giant beam laser on the top of the ship. And she starts squeezing the trigger into space. Just no target. She just starts squeezing the trigger. Is she doing it in a pattern? Hmm. Why doesn't everybody roll perception and see if there's a pattern to this? I got a net 10. Is everybody doing this? Yes, everybody can roll perception. Yes, I got it. So we got a nat 10 from Ryu. We got a 12 Rexford. We got a 5 who's just distracted by the fact that someone else is using his controls. And he's not happy about that. And we got a 7 from... Uh, for mail. All right, I'm so, so I'm still just giggling over deploying hard points. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The innuendo was too much for you. Uh, so, uh, but uh, but Adira, being familiar with the ways of, of Valis, recognizes this as a uh, as a code. It definitely is. There's definitely a pattern to it. The pattern, as uh, if, if, as she observes this, is long, long, long. As far as the the trigger pulls, long, 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 and a pause. Short, long, short, then a pause. Short, long, short, short, then a pause. Long, short, long, long. And then that, right. she, just, and she repeats that, segment, that sequence. Would I recognize that from my time in the uh, Federation? Mm, I might uh, recognize it. You, you, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, okay. Enough of the, enough of the innuendos there. No, uh, no, does no, anybody no, say no, anything I mean, out loud? I think I, I think I have, and I think I have more... Um, experience with experience with legacy communications. Then, then that is probably true. That is probably true. Does anybody say anything out loud so that someone with experience in legacy communications might have a chance at this? Uh, do I don't I don't see this because no, I, you I don't. But two people did, and those two people would be. Hey, gee, Rexford. look at that pattern that she just fired. Do you recognize that pattern? What are you sending? And she said, and Valis says, a query. Okay, so do I recognize that as Morris code? Everybody gets to roll insight. Everybody gets to roll insight. Everybody gets to roll insight. I got to roll the natural one. (laughs) Six. Six. Got a six from Ale and a four from Rexford. And Ryu got an 11. So Ryu definitely recognizes it as Morse code. If if Kin Shadow, if if Roland wants to spend a karma point, he certainly can. I'm, I'm good. You're good. Okay. I'll wait for somebody to mention it. Yep. It sounds like you're sending Morse code. Sound doesn't travel in space, Miss Lane. So now that I know it's Morse code, do I have any... Do I have... But it's uh, travel on the bridge. It certainly does. And she keeps keeps pulling the trigger over and over again. Uh, Everyone can roll a... This is your choice. You can pick and choose whichever one you have a better bonus on. Either culture and law or (laughs) streetwise. So you're either culture or you're savvy. Oh, oh my gosh. What is wrong ten. with you tonight? Another one. And that 10 from Romulan Ale. I got a six. And a six. And a two from... Wow. Boy, look at all the natural ones just falling here. Luckily for you, Ale with the nat 10s pulling your bacon out of the fire here. 
So, uh, so Ale has been around some shady deals, and he's been he's been in situations where he has the the, the tap code. The tap code is maybe how he's how he's as he's heard of it. You know this you know this classic Morse code business from the olden times. But the he knows the tap code, and he uh, he recognizes it as Ollie O L L Y, and she just keeps she just keeps tapping out Ollie with using the laser, over and over again. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? Some say he played a rules-heavy war game, and that when the hit location shot was upside down, he flipped the table. But only knows he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Was it upside down before he flipped the table? I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, he posted a he posted a picture earlier on like Instagram or something like that, where he was playing Mech Warrior, and he had an arrow pointing at the other mech, and it said, "This guy stole my taco." And I never know with, with Chip if he's, like, making a reference to a joke <laughs> or, or if that guy literally stole actually, his taco. <laughs> he may have had a taco stolen. I yeah, mean, the, uh, the, the chivalry bean has a sense of justice, a sense of, you know, right and wrong, a moral center, if you will. And a taco thief would be at the very bottom in yeah, my mind. I agree. Yeah, well, getting on with the community question from last week, is VR now a must-have for sim environments? Should it be a ground-level design consideration? Is it technically a joystick? Horsk writes in, I've been online gaming since the days of dial-up. Google Stadia, as good as it sounds, will be another nail in the coffin for true global gaming. What was great about my first MMO, EverQuest, was the community. My guild was mostly Brits, but we had Aussies and Kiwis. I'm not sure what Kiwis are. New Zealanders. New Zealanders. Ah, um, Americans and Canadians, Dutch Germans, Icelanders, and Japanese. Most games since then, apart from Elite, have moved to regionalize the servers. With Warcraft, we lost our crazy kangaroo-hunting Aussie wizard and the Mad Chef Monk from Chicago, and many others as a handful got local copies of the game. I'm sorry, I think he means and many others as all except a handful got local copies. Um, online gaming is often about the characters you meet in-game, and that's what makes it special. And I'm guessing that to tackle the lag issues, they will regionalize hardware so that your geographic player base will shrink down. I play Imperion Galactic Survival, Elite, and Seven Days to Die with four friends based in Europe while I'm based here in Okinawa, Japan. I'm going to guess that Stadia will be aiming at the first-person shooter market where lag is a bigger issue, but my friends and I would avoid any games that tried to stop us playing together. Keep up the good work, guys. I think there is an issue here. Either they've read something that I haven't, or we have different definitions of, of, of how this would be limiting. Because like the, the hardware, sure, it'll be closer to you to reduce lag, but that doesn't prevent you from playing with somebody that's playing in a different region. Right. I think but I think it'll bias it though. Would it? Because think about it, you're you're playing other games. It, it'll make it better, right? Because your Google box, you, that's from from once you connect to that Google box, the latency from your computer only affects like your, your frame rate and input controls, which are not a big deal in MMOs, right? You, the it, what what matters is then the latency from from that box to the like the game server and to those other friends and things like that. And because those are Google box on Google backbones, your latency will actually be lower in terms of like from a game client to a server perspective, right? It's still a, you're still playing in a on a global network. 
Right. I mean, and, and there's something to be said because once you're on Google's uh, 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 ecosystem, they're going to do whatever they can to provide that with the lowest latency possible. At some point, you bump up against the laws of physics, though. So in, in the current situation, the way things are right now, the peer-to-peer, not quite peer-to-peer, but almost peer-to-peer-like connection between me talking to a guy in Australia and me talking to somebody in New Zealand and Austria and, and whatever, that takes time for things to globally go around the world, but it can be mitigated by us all having independently decent internet connections, right? The problem is that with Google's idea is that there has to be independently good connections to Google's data centers. And then from there, hopefully it all works out nicely. I think that the problem is that the where everyone can make their own decisions now based on, I don't like playing with Steve from Australia because he always has a crappy connection. That's more of a personal choice. Now it seems like Google is going to be taking that a little bit out of your hands and going, your connection to Steve is good enough so you can play with Steve, or your connection to Steve is not good enough, and we don't want people thinking that it's our fault. <laughs> we don't want people thinking Stadia is a crappy service because you can't get a good connection going with your friend Steve. It's, it's Steve's Wait, fault. So are we saying or, that multiplayer servers... For these games, and, in, and and he's mostly talking about MMOs, which are completely different too. But let's just say let's yeah. just talk about multiplayer like FPS games, like he mentioned, Twitch games. Yeah, right. those aren't those aren't going to be based on. They're not going to. I don't think they're going to add a layer of like Stadia connectivity on top of your normal game connectivity. It's just a game running on their server. Those aren't those, the 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 multiplayer matching servers aren't run by Google anymore. Well, but in Stadia, they probably will be. Because it's all on their backbone. Yeah, I don't know about See, that. I don't know about that. That's what I was going to say. Imagine you're playing Elite Dangerous on Stadia. You're not yeah. going to be it's running Elite Frontier, Dangerous. Right? You're, you, what's you're not playing. You're not going to play Elite Dangerous on Stadia. Because no, but there will be other li- games. It's Linux. And and I'm using it as an example. Elite has a server where their game exists and runs, and then they have clients. My idea of Stadia is that Stadia is running the game clients for MMOs. I don't think that they're going to force all games to use their hardware to to run their service. Yes, they are. That's how this is going to work. That's the whole design concept, is that it runs on Google's hardware. Yeah, I don't think so. See, I, I think, think I you're think missing you're a point there, did we miss? Did we listen to two different No, what I think you're missing is, in a game like, say you were going to play a game like Elite or Star Trek Online or something on a Google Stadia box, right? There's no Google Stadia box. Let's, it's let's, a box let's, that let's, you're paying for. It's their box. You're, uh, it's, it's in their, their, in it's their a, place, it's a okay? Rack in their what I'm data saying center, is yeah. that gun, that's going to run your game client, but the server is still going to be at Cryptic for Star Trek. It would still no. be at Frontier for Elite. No. That's not what they're doing. No. That's what no. I'm with Tony on this. That's not what I heard either. Yeah. Hmm. So they yeah. would no, force they... them, if you want a game on our platform, you have to run on our hardware for all of your stuff. Yes. yes. That, that's weird. Yes. That would be That would basically mean no, no MMOs. I can't imagine that. No, it, that's every every no, MMO. No, no, will love every this. MMO isn't going to like chop their player base in half and have. Oh, okay. The only Google Stadia people get to play on Google Stadia servers, and then all everybody else that's on a normal PC gets to play on our other servers. Current MMOs are not going to move to Stadia. If you've already got that network and that background infrastructure, you're not moving to Stadia. I'm Stadia talking about the next a generation game distribution of platform. It's not. It's not necessarily your. I'm sure they have facilities for the rest of the backbone, but. But no, no, this is great for developers because think about it. They don't have to build netcode into the into the game anymore. Bing. 
and they don't have to buy server and rent server backbone. Are they shipping an engine too? They have. They ha- Google has uh, in their little talk. They already have development agreements in process with Unreal and Unity. So that it's part of their. I'm te- we don't have again. We don't have the details here. I'm looking at my crystal ball a little bit. But you don't go get those licenses and you don't make those corporate connections with those people unless you are planning to sell a development service. On that's the fine, but the, that's not the real question here. The real question is, is that the only option people have? And I'm saying yes. My crystal ball says yes. Well, that's, if you are want you guessing? Here, that's, yes, I'm guessing. Okay. But I'm going to be I'm gonna, right. I'm going I'm I'm to be guess, right on this. I'm going to guess no. I'm going to guess that. Okay. I'm going to guess they don't, they're okay. not going to turn down MMOs being on their platform, and there's not yes, a way. Yes, they will. Because they well, want we'll that. See. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. This yeah. is, we got a division here. We There's a binary thing here. Brian says, uh-uh. Jeff says, uh-huh. Tony says, uh-huh. Henry? Um, actually, I was trying to find out if the client and server both run on that while you guys were discussing that and making good radio. You were trying to find facts yeah, I was trying to on find the facts. internet. You, come on. I, I'm sorry. For, for a first-person shooter. That. For, okay. For a closed ecosystem thing or something that's developed specifically for Stadia and only for Stadia and doesn't have any other platform ports, then it makes total sense to use Stadia servers, right? Because you have zero lag, Right between your client and the server. That's your point, right? Sure, sure, But sure. I don't think they're gonna, they're gonna reject, I mean, nobody's gonna, there's, there's gonna be, a, that's, it's like an extremely small market right there, right? Why would you reject other platforms, other games that are trying to port to your system? They wanna be like an this online is, Steam kind of thing, don't they? No, no they don't. No, they no. wanna put Steam out of business. That, that's yeah. what I mean. You know, that they are an online, <laughs> fully online alternative to Steam. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. You're not, You're nobody, develop, nobody's yeah. developing only for Stadia. That's my point. Yeah, that, that's They're exactly right. Will. That's what I'm saying. And I'm They're not seeing get... any evidence that it's the other way either. You know, it's I'm seeing people are talking about adding games to Stadia, and if it, you know, if they, what if they wanted to yeah, add okay, Elite Dangerous okay, okay, to Stadia? Is hold on, who's talking about? No, it? I'm looking at publishers like, and uh, developers, or yeah, these Google are like talking about that. a bunch of people just talking online. I haven't got any facts yet. Yeah. So until Google says, yeah, we're looking forward to working with uh, Frontier Developments to bring Elite Dangerous into the Stadia environments. Yeah, we've talked to Bungie and 343, and these guys are we're we're really excited to bring these great these great classic titles into but it. See, no, no, no. Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed was their flagship thing because. It you there's, there's only client right, it's only client. There's no server client things going on there. It's just client. So they put the client in their little their little environment and do all this kind of stuff. When it comes to multiplayer, you're going to design it in their environment. You're going to build it in their environment, and you're going to deploy it in their environment. That's what's going to happen. I don't see why it's relevant. The Stadia is all about bringing the connectivity between your controller to an offsite computer that runs we'll your games we'll see we'll see. that's what it's about i can't imagine them saying your develop my developers have to do this or that we to need to that. move on and i like where we've left it because we've got a clear binary prediction here so we'll find out who is right and you know who runs dead. their their you know who runs their their servers in google's cloud star citizen <laughs> perfect perfect on that note so Volrof writes in, community questions, and delving back a bit, because as usual, I'm responding to every second show. Stadia first impressions, interested. Tech likely needs further dev, but I agree that console killer is definitely possible, especially if services, it services 
metro areas effectively. At the end of the day, global metro populations are at least 90% of Xbox slash PlayStation market. And if they take a solid piece out of that pie, Microsoft and Sony will, be, will move from console dev. Uh, expensive R&D, always buying tech, etc. From a game portability perspective, let's go with the assumption that we're talking Windows Server containers or something similar. Only app exposed to user, not OS, light on resources, relatively economical overall to run. If we're talking about taking AMD Epic CPUs and, AM and GPUs, means devs can also basically cut and paste for PC release via Steam or hard copy with no real changes required. Some driver work possibly, but outside we're talking 90% of the same architecture. This also means that PC gaming unlikely to take a huge hit, aside from PC to console users getting generally a bit of a different breed with different priorities to begin with. How they use your systems. You're, you're just alienating a potential market segment if you release a Stadia and not direct to PC, if there's no major code overalls required to do so. No producer will want to let that extra money go to waste. So apropos of the discussion we were just having just a second yeah, ago. He's a, he's a proponent against you and Jeff saying that there will be direct ports. Right. And so that right. that would be... Right. It, if the, the question is going to be, does that trade-off that he's talking about here, that there's extra money on the table if you don't port it to PC, the question will be, number one, how... If you're designing for the Stadia environment and you've got that single GPU, CPU architecture, no weird driver problems because it's all the same, it's all vanilla, every single session is the, the same hardware. If that extra money to accommodate, say, NVIDIA GPUs rather than the AMD GP, uh, GPUs that Google's going to be using, if that extra work is going to translate to an extra payoff to tap that additional market. The second question, which I think is not answered yet, and Jeff and I are agreement on, in agreement on this, is that whether they're going to let you. If you design and build it in the Stadia environment, are they going to let you port it over to something else? Or can you design and build it outside, give it to whoever you want to, and then bring it to Stadia too? Are they going to let you? Or, or are those different licenses? Are there different pricing structures if you want to do it either Google, way? Google is a big company, know. right? And they do have yes. a lot of money to throw around. And so if they buy exclusives, then I think they'll be exclusives. Or timed exclusives or something like that. But outside of another way. pure money, they do not have very much clout in the gaming community, right? Like Microsoft just can throw more weight. Microsoft, Sony, pretty much everybody else can throw way more weight around than Google can. No, but, but okay, I'll give you an example of the differences here. Microsoft, just this last week or so, uh, killed every ebook from their Microsoft store. Um, there, in fact, uh, if you had ebooks, you're no longer can access or uh, are able to access them, or some of them uh -huh. you can uh, access uh, until uh, July. Microsoft is not a content uh, service. They, they they just don't do content. They killed off Groove, and they killed off uh, uh, your storage of your MP3s on OneDrive. They killed off uh, the only, I think the only content delivery they have right now is. Um, uh, some movies and TV, Xbox. and that's pro uh, uh, and they'll probably get rid of that here uh, shortly as well. Google, on the other hand, oh, hold on, hold on, let's Apple, back up. When I say Microsoft, I mean Xbox. Okay, a Xbox is still a major gaming platform, and it's still, still, a it's still a major content platform. distribution for gaming. Uh, but but even they are thinking about uh, some changes in in uh, in 
the way they deliver. They're they're going to make a big E3 announcement. Yeah, it's um, going to be you're going to have I'm, be able to run Xbox games on your PC or some crap like that, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, it should be the same platform anyway. If Microsoft was smart, they would have never made it like this is your console. It would they should have made it that way from the beginning. It's well, a direct to Xbox. With Sony, you do have to have like some sort. You do have to have different architecture differences and stuff like that. People look for that crap. Yeah, um, and Google and Apple are content delivery uh, companies. They, that's what they do. I mean, uh, um, they're all about uh, delivering that content to your to whatever your you know. Um, it, granted, one's a x86 architecture and the other's a, a crapple, but you know, they're uh, they, it is what they, it is. Hold on, um, I, I, I so, would argue that Google Music and Google and Google Movies. Are still a fairly minor player in the market compared to many other players. Well, I got rid of all my my TV subscription services, and now I'm just using YouTube, uh, YouTube TV. It's the best one out there. I mean, they they they're 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 really getting into content delivery, and <clears throat> I think that uh, I think that they're trying to do that with the gaming industry, and I think that their approach to it is 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 really threatening. Um, I, they would like they would like everyone to open up their YouTube window in their Chromium browser and then just never leave. Granted, no, I, I, and, and I don't disagree with that at all. And I'm sure that's what they will try. I guess my point here is that for you have to be able to influence the content creators, and they do not have the influence to make the decisions that you guys are are are, are pitching. Oh yes, they do. Well, hang, hang on, hang on, hold on. Not yet. We haven't seen the incentives yet. My my guesstimate is that they will be overwhelming. Well, for is that the incentive? I, I, they will. I, I absolutely I agree with that. But it will be for a minority of titles. Uh, to start, remember the five to ten year adoption window. Ten years ago, Steam was you know oh that's fun. That's a fun little thing. Steam. That's that's neat. Hope everyone likes that. All they need is a few titles though, Brian. Because yeah. once once the big titles are there and have been brought in people adopt the platform to get the big titles and then the other little titles want to get on the platform so the tables are turned in that case and they're fighting to get on the platform uh, instead everybody of the platform says that with for them. every platform and there's a 10 other platforms that are doing the exact same thing yeah and you know what i think um there is definitely an example of big companies like google failing at launching platforms like the zune that happened with microsoft so that can happen but I don't see Google fumbling that way in this. I just Google, don't. Well, we discussed last week. Google kills products all the time. They kill the products time. all the time. Yeah, I'm just saying that this is a this is a thing that to me sounds like it's going to be successful and cool. Well, I don't sure. see any negative to again, it at all. Again, that's not the you question. Don't, wait, the you question don't see a negative to it? No, you, I think there's it's awesome. a negative to it. So every game that you play right now, um, you have some control over that. You can choose to go online or you can use single player games. Now. Every game that you play, it's your account. They have not only your uh, your login, but now they can track every single game that you play, or what your likes are, what your dislikes are. Just like Steam. Um, I've already accepted that lifestyle. And moving on to the rest of the feedback, he continues, Now the big one, the latency, looked at this way. Google's already has international data centers and Amazon Web Services, Google, and Microsoft Hosting, Vendor Direct, or through MSP app vendors, is all showing that software as a service is the new model. Only a matter of time before games go the same way. And he goes on to describe in detail about his particular latency issues in Australia and how the timing in milliseconds makes this all difficult to work correctly. Good points, just not good radio. But 
but they're there, and we appreciate you writing them in. Finally, on VR, he says, any developer designing a sim these days, ignoring VR, is making a poor design decision and cutting themselves out of a growing market. Segments who want to enjoy the depth of immersion their potentially expensive VR sets afford them in competing titles. As I think Brian mentioned regarding Stadia, if the new setup, if the new expensive setup doesn't work with it, I don't want it. NVIDIA now works with interestingly similar recommended requirements to Stadia, 25 megabits per second for 1080p at 60 frames per second. So the technology is out there. It's coming. We're close to getting it right, but there's still significant hurdles to getting it working smoothly. And and all, all listeners and my, my co-hosts, let's keep talking about this because I do think it's a game changer, and I think it's going to make a difference to where future games get developed, where those resources are spent, and where people uh, uh, wind up creating and playing. So let's keep the conversation going, but uh, we're just getting too long in this segment uh, for now. But let's keep talking about it. Uh, Wertcher writes in and says, thanks for the show. Hashtag Tony was right. I don't remember about what, though. I just remember being surprised. Hey. <laughs> where, where, where's the RPG segment? I don't think we're going oh, to throw on, around inflammatory hashtags like that without proper backup. <laughs> they want receipts, Wertcher. They want receipts. And the RPG segment's back. We had some time crunches last week, and then uh, uh, Lennon had some uh, data corruption problems. Yeah, he didn't ask about GPR. You were kidnapped, or you were, no, you weren't kidnapped. You were running. You were running. And we had we were short on time. So it's all back. It's all back. We're good. Romero021 writes, VR is the last thing I want in a game like No Man's Sky. I enjoy the style of graphics, but in a first-person perspective of VR, it is bound to look silly. Now, as for Star Citizen, VR is everything I could ask for. VR, to me, helps when you can reach out and touch or interact with the world, grab a cup of coffee, or pick up a gun. No Man's Sky VR will just be a heavy head screen, in my opinion. I disagree entirely, sir. I saw a review. I saw a guy got a, a, a PC Mag journalist, I think, maybe. PCMag.com, I think. He got his hands on it, and he said that you grab your throttle and your joystick and move it. I'm so, so you excited. Use the, you use those. It's going to be a little weird, I think, but you use those touch controllers, you, you, and when you want to look in your inventory, you reach for your backpack. Mm. It's like you you reach around and grab your backpack and then and go, and that's when your inventory is as, as we talked about before, I mean, if, if VR was... It makes Elite a totally different experience, right? I, I expect yes. the same thing with No Man's Sky. It goes from, like... A, an arcadey game that it is now to something mm. more akin to like an experience. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it's I, gonna rock. I am so excited for it. Yeah. Whatever. It should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you are letting your bias keep you from having a good time, buddy. No, no. I'm just saving a, a buck in my pocket. That's all. Because that's all it's worth is a buck. Says the guy who owns like a thousand JPEG ships. He couldn't even fly for the first four years. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to laugh anymore. Ken from Chicago writes in and says, no. Well, okay, so he said no. Uh, VR doesn't have enough of an install base to be a must-have for a hashtag space sims. If you're, if you're coding a new game, then VR is a nice option, and you, uh, if you can afford it. Yeah, VR, like joysticks, are nice but optional. Belated reply to your episode two weeks ago, I think the biggest hurdle for hashtag Stadia, hashtag Google's reputation is to drop something after a few years. Google Plus lasted nine years, but like many of their services, interest cooled off after two to three years. They rarely promoted new features. 
another great discussion on robocars, but again, the mistake of thinking of them as robotaxis led to a mistaken conclusion. They are there to be an urban-rural divide, making them less popular in the countryside. Yet the nature of rural regions boosts the appeal of the robocar. Nightmare scenario for robocars driving down a one-lane highway, one-way residential city street with cars parked on both sides and a child steps out from between with no notice. <laughs> in rural, Why are you laughing? Uh, because, that's exactly, in spare time. because that's exactly <laughs> the point I was making a couple of weeks ago about them. In rural neighborhoods, cars are on driveways or lawns, way easier for an AI to drive, also fewer folk. Bonus, robo-tractors or uh, other slow-moving farm vehicles. Slower vehicles are easier for AI to drive, which they already have. In small rural towns, young folk tend to flee to the big city, leaving behind old folk who often give up driving due to declining health. Robocars would be a boon for them. Lastly, if you hate commuting and bumper traffic in the city, in rural areas, it's driving one or several towns over to the same open roads for 30 to 60 miles at a time. You, you just sit and stay in your lane for 30 to 90 minutes or more. Robocars let you nap or play space sims, etc. Those are all excellent use cases for rural AI driving. The, the nightmare scenario is not a nightmare scenario. Like, like I am with you there. Yeah, like if you're, if I, I, the robocar is going to have much better reaction time than an old person driving down a car in in that same situation, right? And better situational awareness. Yes. Uh, cameras all yeah, over uh, instead of two facing forward. Right. I was going to say that that uh, the sensors, the flare, uh, flare, the uh, heat signature, the uh, other other sensors. I mean, yeah, I, you'd probably see that child coming from out of the out the front door chasing the ball. That's <laughs> possible, but I think his point is that the environment in a rural area is much less cluttered. There's fewer things for the sensor to be confused by or to obscure the signal or mask whatever. That, 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 his point is that it's going to be easier, at least in the beginning, for those systems to process mm. if they were deployed in a rural environment. I'll get you. Lots of lots of fewer edge cases uh, uh, to go around there. So no, but I, you know, the, the excellent excellent points as far as uh, wanting to maybe have some rural deployment of uh, of AI driving because as as someone who's driven many of those roads between towns, yes, there is a particular stretch between I think it's Dighton, Kansas and Great Bend, Kansas, where you have to hang onto the wheel because the road like dips, like there's this hmm. one spot where the road just dips really hard. And it's just, it's always it's always there. And if I'm not paying attention, sometimes I'll be like, whoa, it's not like life-threatening or anything, but it, it's just that same stretch of road you drive over all the damn time. And yeah, it, it can get tedious. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think what he's really responding to was our discussion on whether robot, whether robocars will move to an iRobot style you know, Asimovian licensing strategy, right? Where you, it, it's, nobody ever owns their car, right? And I think that's what he's arguing about. And I think that, that it's debatable whether any of that would apply to a rural environment or not, you know, but I don't know. I, I think I think the jury's still out on how exactly that would end up working. Um, and I am, and I'm recently, you know, uh, having to put my son through driver's, driver's ed, um, and I told him, I said, you know, you're, you'll probably be the last person. I, I, your kids will probably not not have to do this. Um, right. <clears throat> simply for the fact that that 
it's going to be an all or nothing thing. I think, well, not, not true. Um, it's going to be 90% uh, uh, AI and, and people who still have driver's licenses and stuff will probably, um, you know, or the uh, uh, person who likes cars will probably have that old classic somewhere and and they're, they'll just yeah. become more classic uh, vehicles. It'll be, it'll be for people as a novelty and rich people. Yeah. Because I think, I think people, um, normal people, the, the insurance will probably be too expensive. And, and, that, and that, I wonder what will become of the Bugattis and the, and the hypercars and the, and the Ferraris and, the, and all the other stuff that is just, you know, made for that, for that enthusiast that wants to, um, you know, uh, do those kind of things. I, I, I mean, I see a lot of these companies facing an era where they're going to not be able to make these cars anymore. They'll, they'll eventually get on the AI bandwagon too. I mean, there's going to be yeah, a transition but, period, right? But who wants an AI that drive, drive their Bugatti at 220 miles an hour, you know? And, and, how, and if, it's got, if it's an AI car, yeah. can you get it to drive put, 220 miles an hour? Put that, put that in that rural row between Dighton and Great Bend and see how that works. <laughs> yeah. So Pete Watherspoon on, on, on Twitch says, Robo Boeing 737s have been crashing out of the sky recently. Uh, same thing could happen to robo cars. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but um, and, and you're talking about one of the prime uh, uh, employers in my state. Uh, don't don't diss on Boeing, man. I'll tell you, I, I get my hackles up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, a couple of faulty sensors on a couple of airplanes, and suddenly the whole fleet is doomed. You know, it's a. Uh, uh, I thought it was. I thought it was bad software. Well, well it was so. Yeah, it, it was a combination of things. We talked about it real briefly, but and we're getting a little long on time here too. But real briefly, it was the sensor went. The sensor was bad. The warning light that would say your sensor's bad was part of an upgrade package that these airplanes didn't have. The dis- discussion of the uh, existence of the sensor and how it worked was omitted from the flight training manuals that got people certified on the new class. They went straight from 737 uh, next gens to the maxes and their training certification did not include, hey, the sensor exists and here's what it does and you might not know it because unless your company bought the upgrade package that has the warning light. So all this stuff together combined to set up two situations, and one in Indonesia one in Ethiopia, where the pilots were thinking they were losing control of the airplane because the sensor was uh, sending faulty data to the, computer, the, 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 yeah. the, the computer. The computer was sending commands back to the stabilizer saying, uh, dive because we're in a stall. So they try to pull back up. The sensor resets based on the new pull, the, the, the new, the new uh, input going, oh, now we really need to dive. So let's dive a lot. And so, they, and so you go, a feedback loop was created and they didn't know how to get out of it. So it's a, it, was a, it was a combination of things, but this is exactly why AI is going to need to be deployed incrementally in a lot of different environments. Maybe start with the rural so we can work out some of the bugs um, and, then, and then go from there. But it's going to be an incremental long process, much like Stadia uh, and all these other things, too. So, Way to bring it around there, Tony. Wrap it up! That was actually a really great description, though. Thanks for that, because that, clarif- that clarified things. No new Patreon, no, no new random winner. And this week's community question. What is your prediction of the 2020 big feature David Braben discussed in 2012? 
planetary landings, elite feet, or unlocking secret space bubbles. And otherwise, how is the show? Are we on track for an early 2019 release, or should we talk to the publisher about maybe a short delay until 2020? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comments on our show post, which you can find on our website, and look us up on Discord. And that brings us to the end of episode 255 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 256 on April 16th, 2019. So be sure to keep an ear out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community monkey, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our digital artist, formerly known as Ben Sanders, our elite counselor, Baxter, and of course, our audio engineers, Mikey Lemon and Bill Hardy. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, there's no one to say happy birthday to Lennon, and the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. This is Tony, intro, sync one. This is Jeff, intro, sync two. This is Ken Shadow, intro, sync three. Don't wake up, Henry. And intro in three, two. We open up the YouTube Elite Dangerous Vaults for a trip back to December 2012, when a young and spry David Braden talks about releasing the game features and stages and blocking access to Star Citizen... Jesus. <laughs> that was not a part of the video. What video did you watch? With, with a um, – sorry, my daughter is getting I, a cat. I've been listening to you, Brian, but I've also been watching the cat try to escape for about the last three minutes. It's been kind of – the other cat comes and looks at him and like, ha-ha, I'm outside and you're not. And then the other cat's like <laughs> kind of poking at the paw at the thing. Yeah, so that was – but I was listening. Mur- murder furry friends over here. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, Henry? Yeah. Henry, where Joe wants to know where Jeff is. Can you show him where Jeff is tonight? Is that what you want? See the picture? Yes, that's what I want. That's what I wanted everyone to know where Jeff. Oh, he's right here. He's here. He was Hi, Jeff. He was he was he was getting he was he was he was revisiting the inside of his eyelids. Oh, I thought just he was reading something. I didn't think he was asleep. He was just talking a minute or so ago. <laughs> He was, he, was, he, was, he was checking to make sure the inside of his eyelids still worked. Where Chell says that Jeff specifically slept through the No Man's Sky talk. Oh, uh, yeah, he well, probably that... did, yeah. This is Tony, feedback and closing, sync one. This is Jeff, feedback and closing, sync two. Ken Shadow, feedback and closing, sync three. This is Sally, feedback and closing, sync four. <clears throat> Sally. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting my mic set up <laughs> that's here. That's that nut. He's cupping his mic. Um, it's kind. Of, it was kind of in the way of where I have to read because that's on another He's screen. Down mic. Here. Yeah, it was. It was a sight to behold. The, the mic's. The mic's name is Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Spelled with a J. There. There's nothing weird about that. We the might thing. have a new show title. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> the mic's name is Jeff with a J. <laughs> okay. This is the part where I looked over at my shelf and said, "Oh, look, yes. I got Candyland yes. and Sorry and all this." Kind of... Yeah, I was right. Yeah, you were right. We did read this yes, before. You did. So, Maybe. so, 
So what was the what was the phrase you used? It's like, it's like, Fuck you. I think it's what you said. <laughs> it is what he said. I, yeah. I, think, it twice. I don't remember I think, this though. I, I don't. I, do. I remember you saying I, something like that, but I don't know if it's if it was last week. Was that last week? No, yeah, because yeah. okay, so he said Milton Bradley board games, and I went, yeah, and I looked and over it, here and I'm looking at my shelf. And I'm he like, started reading out the names of his board games, and I Star Trek Catan. I even said I Star Trek you Catan. Saying yeah, Star Trek okay. Catan. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Shiv, then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, all right, good times, good clean fun. Not raining together. Good clean other American feedback fun. again. Somebody has to do that. Good clean, good clean American fun is what that was. Okay. Uh, <laughs> spicy pl- floppy rocket ship. <laughs> spicy floppy rocket ship.